0: Hello, my name is Christopher Monroe, and welcome to the soundtrack to a life. Welcome back to the soundtrack to a life. Chris here, hosting a show called the soundtrack to a life. Bad intro. That did not go anywhere. With me once again is Chelsea. Hello, Chelsea. Hello. And Chelsea and I are today talking about Slipknot's self titled debut album from 1999, Slipknot. Chelsea, tell me about this piece of music. What's your relationship with it?
1: <laughs> um. I came to Slipknot the same way I came to most of the bands in this genre through a friend. And uh, she basically gave me a whole bunch of music and went, here, yeah, listen to this. And I went, oh, all right, cool. Prior to that point, I didn't listen to a whole lot of music. I was a weird kid who didn't listen to musicals. And that was about it. I didn't really find my own music ever. It was always someone else's that I just acquired. and either liked and continued to listen to or didn't like and stop listening to I got uh, Slipknot's self-titled and Iowa around the same time um, and listened to both of them and liked both of them very much. This one is weird and dark and creepy. Creepy is a good word. And then many years later, saw them for the first time on their volume three tour, which was their third album. And then literal decade later, saw them on the tour for their fifth album. Both with Lisa, interestingly enough. I asked you if you wanted to go then, and you said no. That's on me. I should have gone. Yeah, it was a really good show. They were both really good shows. When I saw them in, this would have been 2005, when they came here on the Volume 3 tour, they played in the corral, and it was the very first time I had ever been to a concert that was dry. There was no alcohol served.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. Is this a straight-edge
1: band? No. No? No. This is a band with loud fast, violent music, and drunk people in the pit listening to this music was dangerous, and the band requested that there not be alcohol served.
0: Yeah, I'll buy that. This feels like the kind of record where if you see them play live, their mosh pit will fuck you all the way up.
1: Yeah. When we went to see it, I saw it with Lisa and Sarah and Crystal. Crystal and I had tickets that were seats. And Lisa and Sarah were on the floor. And they were a mess when they came off the floor. Sweaty, red, hair all over the place. Very happy, but...
0: In a way where you can just tell you're going to wake up tomorrow (laughs) regretting certain life decisions that you made.
1: Yes. Also, the band may have requested that this concert be dry because for the encore, they played Spit It Out, which they usually play during an encore. And uh, Corey Taylor, who's the frontman, and lead singer for the band, called everyone down from the audience to the floor, and a lot of people went. And I remember looking at the doors to the floor and seeing two security guards who kind of went, we Will, stop them! Hands up, step to the side, just let, like, people pour onto the floor.
0: Oh my god, that'd be a fun gig.
1: Yeah, and then he had the entire audience crouch, and then jump, and it was like a wave of people jumping. It was really cool to see. From way up high. Crystal and I had the coats and purses for all four of us. So we just stayed. Kinda of looked at each other went,
0: no. We good. Right here. Great excuse to not jump in a mosh pit.
1: Yeah, I listen to a lot of mosh pit bands, but tend not to mosh. I'm not a mosh person. That's not me.
0: You might be past that point in your life.
1: I was 25
0: when I went to see this show. You could have jumped in a mosh pit at 25. Totally. Today, you're going to hurt yourself. Yeah. I like being on the edge of
1: mosh pits. Just one person removed from the ring of people who do the pushing.
0: Yeah, it's a really fun energy.
1: Yes. But the actual pit, I'm not... It's too, too close, too many people jumping up and down. So yeah, this album is... Like I said, it's dark and creepy. Um, the second time I saw them play, they played prosthetic Live, which is a song about a guy who abducts a woman, locks her in a house, and then stalks her in that house. okay, <laughs> it's creepy and disturbing, no doubt, and was amazing live
0: nice like
1: shivers up your spine. We played the first opening like two or three bars and I looked at Lisa and went prosthetic. Really? Okay. Cool. Here we are for this and it was amazing. Absolutely
0: amazing. Yeah, this is the kind of band that you have to really be willing to throw yourself into an experience to appreciate properly. It is hilarious to me that uh between this podcast and getting engaged to you, I am waiting until the year of our lord 2020. To get into new metal bands, this is distinctly late '90s, early 2000s, angry white person music, in a way that immediately ties it to its era. Yes, very much so. Uh, whereas at this time, I was more about that like weird, random period in UK-based indie music, with like Travis or Keane or Doves or Star Sailor where every ostensibly music-for-young-people indie band was for some reason making chill-out music on acoustic guitars or with a lot of reverb. And I remember at the time thinking, it's good, and I like these bands. It's weird that it's all chill-out music. And in the time since, as I've grown older and into the demo for chill-out music, I've only appreciated those bands more and more. But with hindsight, maybe this is where all of the energy went. Yeah, this
1: is absolutely where all of the energy went. Slipknot started out as a three-person band, none of whom are in the band today. Really? Really. Two of them left for various reasons, and one of them passed away. And the band has very much become Corey and Sean's band. But yeah, they started out as a three-person band, and at the height of their popularity right before the album their most recent album we are not your kind came out they were a nine person band this is a band that has a singer two guitarists three drummers and a like a technician who does random samples and other stuff you cannot do with an instrument
0: that makes sense there is there is a even in 1999 with this
1: and there were nine members of the band when this album was made oh yeah yeah
0: yeah even um In 1999, as this was made, I was detecting like a certain electronica influence to like the atmosphere and the soundscapes that existed behind the music that they were making. Like this is very much a guitars forward metal band. This is certainly right in the middle of new Metal. It feels like it is not a rap metal record. No, Uh, it's not. He does rap on a couple of tracks, but that is more to me akin to... Dance act doing a beat, a uh, song or two with that kind of four on the floor disco beat. It doesn't make them a disco act. They've just done it twice out of 14 songs. Yes. It is there, but it barely counts. Yeah. Um... And it makes sense that they would incorporate that kind of electronic influence given that this came out shortly after Nine Inch Nails' biggest years and Firestarter by Prodigy. And there was a lot of Dance, acts, incorporating hard rock elements, and vice versa happening at the same time?
1: Yeah. This album was their, you could classify it as a commercial disaster. It reached number 51 on the Billboard's chart. Well, for a debut, that doesn't suck. They have never charted lower than three since then. Yeah. <laughs> Iowa hit number three, volume three hit number two, and then their three the three albums after that, All Hope is Gone, 05 The Great Chapter and We Are Not Your Kind all debuted at number one. Oh wow. Yeah.
0: This is a bigger band than I gave them credit for. Yep.
1: they have won they have been nominated for ten Grammys and won one for best metal performance for Before I Forget, which is on uh, I'll Hope It's Gone. No, volume three, sorry, which is a it's an amazing, amazing song. Yeah, they have their own festival every year called Not Fest, which uh, is similar to Ozfest bunch of bands get together, spend a weekend, do a bunch of shit. Sometimes the festival tours. like uh, I've seen ads for Knotfest in England and in Germany and other places in Europe and a couple different cities in the States, but it doesn't tour wide. Like, it's not a...
0: We're going a, to spend an entire year on the road with this thing. It's right. It's we're like, going to do this festival five times.
1: Yes, exactly. Um, and it has just grown since the first Knotfest, which was in 2012. Paul Gray, who was one of the founding members, passed away in 2010 of an accidental overdose, and he has never officially been replaced. They have had guest musicians for touring and studio work, but have never officially replaced him, and they don't intend to. So they are now an eight-person band with an occasional session musician (laughs) who will tour. And, uh, yeah, all of the members of the band also do other things. Their pattern is that they will produce an album and then take a hiatus. This album and Iowa came out two years apart. Self-titled came out in 99 and Iowa came out in 2001. Then they took a three-year hiatus. Volume 3 came out in 2004. Then they took a four-year hiatus. All Hope is Gone came out in 2008. The Great Chapter came out in 2014. And We Are Not Your Kind came out in 2019. Mm. The band was not together during those intervening periods. Corey Taylor and Jim Root are both members of Stone Sour.
0: Yeah, we saw them.
1: Yes, we did. And the Stone Sour self-titled album came out in 2002. Come Whatever May came out in 2006. Audio Secrecy came out in 2010. House of Gold and Bones Part 1 came out in 2012. And Part 2 came out in 2013. And Hydrograde, which is the tour we saw, came out in 2017. So, Corey Yeah, does, they're staggering. <laughs> yeah. Corey does Slipknot and then Stone Sour and then... Like that, and I've I saw the Come Whatever May tour, House of Blood and or Golden Bones and the Hydrograde. So I've seen Corey Taylor five times in concert. But I will see him whenever he tours because he's
0: awesome. That makes sense. It was a really good show when we went to see him. Yes. Um, you introduced me to Stone Sour first. Yes. Because you suspected that I would appreciate them better than Slipknot. Yes. You. We're probably correct. <laughs> I got a lot out of this record, but you're right that Stone Sour is the easier access point, given my history with music, to Corey Taylor as a performance. Yes. I was fascinated the looping. The whole thing, I think, is sick. <laughs> yep. It's a really fun intro. It gives you a lot of information about what kind of band this is and what sort of response they expect from the culture at large and how little they care. Mm -hmm. It's a really confident opening, especially on a debut, and I have a lot of respect for that. And then Sick just fucking stampedes you. You are thrown right in with barely enough warning to keep your head up, and you are expected to do the work of catching up, and the band does not intend to help you. They do not. And I appreciate that attitude in a band. Like, they know who they are, and they are confident of that, and they see no reason why they should have to explain things to you or slowed down at any point. This going to number 51 on the Billboard album charts, and then the next album going top five, makes a ton of sense to me, because this feels like a band that like charts low, and then spends two years on the chart as word of mouth spreads, rather than one that has like a really big cultural moment that spikes things once. I would be willing to bet money every album after this, their biggest week was their first week.
1: Probably, yeah.
0: Because this feels like a band where all of the fans show up the first day. Or they pre-order. Yeah, like, this, this is appointment listening for the people who enjoy Slipknot. Like, you show up for it because you have been anticipating it for months.
1: Yes, and they maintain their fan base despite taking two to eight years off between albums. Their fan base stays and it grows. The first song I ever heard on the radio was Psychosocial, which is on their fourth studio album.
0: Yeah, and you had already been through two complete album cycles Yeah, with these guys. Yeah, And not noticed them on the radio at all. In spite of the fact that you do listen to, when you listen to radio, the hard rock stations.
1: Yes, but you couldn't put People Equal Shit on the radio. Yeah, I'll buy that. (laughs) Like, it's just, it's not a song you can put on the radio because if you bleep it, it's gone. You've lost.
0: Yeah, that that is the move of a band who knows that their audience will be there for them, regardless of how they promote the record.
1: And like Eyeless, which is the second song on the album, Can't See California Without Marlon Brando's Eyes, is something that someone screamed at them at an airport when they were getting off a plane. It has absolutely nothing to do with the song, which is about a deeply toxic relationship with your father. Um, But it's a
0: great line. It is. That's the kind of thing somebody screams at you, and you go, well, I'm going to use that in something.
1: Writing that down. We're keeping this. This is also a band that lovingly refers to its fan base as maggots. Perfect. They have a song on Volume 3 called Pulse of the Maggots, which is uh, an amazing song and it's like mosh pit jumping up and down kinetic
0: yeah they do that this is music that gets you pumped up and makes you want to do things as far as the lyrics go i could not make them out that's like i literally have i literally have written down at the risk of sounding like an old <laughs> do the lyrics here matter cuz i didn't think to google them until i was already halfway through this record It's that very distinct new metal sound, screech, scream voice.
1: Lisa used to call it her metal ear. If you don't listen to metal, you can't hear it. It's like having a punk ear because they're so fast. You're going to miss it. Do you need to know what the lyrics? Absolutely not. They are a fantastic band where you can pick out one-liners like You Can't See California Without Marlon Brando's Eyes or People equal shit or things like that where they're just little snippets of he takes a breath and slows down long enough for you to hear what he's saying. And uh, a love of what he's written is deep and meaningful and profound pain and loss. They speak about depression and suicide, trouble
0: growing up in difficult homes and powerful. It is designed to get adrenaline pumping. Mm -hmm. Um, This is music that makes you want to pick a fist fight.
1: not too well driving.
0: No, you would drive too fast. That's absolutely the case. Yes. But for the concept of physical media, Mm -hmm. I'd have pulled the lyric sheet out of the record. Yes. Yeah, you'd have grabbed the the liner notes. Just to Google it. Like, I'm sitting at my computer taking notes. I just was too dumb to think to. Yeah. Um... Uh, I was listening to this at home by myself, taking no way to listen to Slipknot.
1: That is correct.
0: Like, this band feels like that crowd of like minded people surrounding you, and for it to be played at deafening volume. Like, there's a non zero chance that if these guys were coming to Calgary semi regularly, they would be the kind of band that I saw live every time they came. Every single time that they came, but in between, never listened to. Like, they're not a headphone band, but you can. While listening to them on headphones, picture how communal an experience their shows must be.
1: Uh, Although that
0: said, it would be a fucking good workout mix.
1: Yes. Um, I have Slipknot on my running mix on the rare occasions when I run, which does not happen very often, but they definitely make up a large chunk of that mix. The other thing that's super interesting about this band is they are
0: faceless and nameless. Yes, they are demon clowns.
1: Yes. Um, So they are always wearing masks, and uh, for a long time were numbered. Okay. One through nine. And you never saw their faces. The first time I saw Slipknot perform, Corey was wearing a full, like, latex mask over his entire head and a three-piece suit. The first time I saw Stone Sour play, he was shirtless by Song 3.
0: Yeah, that's the call. That's the move for music (laughs) like this.
1: And well, you three-piece saw suit, he's... you got to be
0: drenched in sweat by the end of that show. Mm-hmm. That feels exhausting.
1: Well, and you saw him for the Stone Sour show we went to. He's moving. He was moving in a latex mask and a three-piece suit.
0: Yeah, he is a very dynamic front person.
1: Yeah, that's why they put him out there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely, he's um... good at it. Question and then follow-up question. Okay. I know that the fans of Slipknot are not Juggalos. But, <laughs> do they show up dressed as demon clowns also? No. No?
1: No. Oh. Because they are fully aware that they are going to be moving. Sure,
0: but like, so are the fans <laughs> at an ICP show.
1: Um, no, I don't think I've ever seen anyone show up to a Slipknot show and a mask.
0: Weird. And I've been to two. It feels like such a gimme for a band that is this visual.
1: No, there are definitely fans who get tattoos.
0: Yep, a lot um, of bands have fans that get tattoos.
1: Yeah, they they get that. Um, it's the cover of Iowa. Is the mask the zipper?
0: Well, I mean, not to not to tell Slipknot fans how to live their lives. Consider dressing as demon clowns and going to a show. I love juggalos <laughs> for that. I am I've probably mentioned on the show before of the opinion, and this is probably just my inner '90s goth skate punk kid talking that your choice of youth sh- subculture should put you at risk of taking the occasional punch. And as far as I can tell, the Juggalos are the only ones out there doing that, and I find it super admirable. Uh, that said, I have literally never listened to an Insane Clown Posse record. I, have. I am only a fan of the culture that has sprung up around them. Have you? Yes. Any good? Uh, some of them are
1: very good. Some of them are not. It oh, really all depends on what you're looking for.
0: That's fair. Do you know what? A band that's fucking 20 years old is going to have a couple of records that suck. Yeah. Tattered and Torn's opening (laughs) is fascinating to me. Yeah. Like, just their use of discord and disharmony. It's almost like an anti-music. And the fact that it comes six songs in, as I'm getting used to the sound that I'm hearing, makes it even more jarring. A lot of the other songs on here use that kind of weird, jarring, ambient background. But it was really ramped up on Tattered and Torn to the point where it kind of took me out of the song to wonder what was going on, which was weirdly kind of perfect. (laughs) Like, it came in right as the record... Like, up until that point, the record was very effective at what it was trying to be. But by track six, it was starting to come off as a little bit samey. And a good, weird slice of, what are you even doing? Dropped into the middle of the record. Did a lot to break that up for me.
1: Yes. Tattered and Torn is on their demo album, which was released... Before this, yep. it was actually released. Make, Kill, Feed, Repeat was released. have it somewhere. It is the only song from that album that appears on this album, and it has a different writing team. All of the songs on the album, with the exception of four, were written by Sean, Paul, Joey, and Corey. Surfacing, Spit It Out, were written by Paul, Joey, and Corey. Sean wasn't involved. And Tattered and Torn was also had influences from Josh Brainard and Andre and Donnie Steele, who um, were members of the band at the time, but no longer are. But it's the only song that they contributed to. Gotcha. And, yeah, it's very different.
0: Yeah, it's also, I realized partway through it, Tattered and Torn shows up structurally on the album. At approximately the spot, like six tracks in, where everything is firmly established, but maybe starting to sound a little bit samey. hmm That's where an 80s band would have put their uh, acoustic and slash or power ballad. Yes. And it does the same job as that. Like, it's literally the opposite of an acoustic ballad on every conceivable level. But it's meant to do the same job of breaking up the album, giving you a different experience pulling you out of it, and then putting you back in, ready for side two. Mm-hmm. And that is also a fascinating way to do it. I think it might be my favorite track on the record. <laughs> like, it star- it started, and I went, this is very deliberately ugly, and I don't know why it's here. And then by the end, I went, this is great.
1: <laughs> it's like throwing, at the end of their demo disc, there's a song called Killers Are Quiet. It's the last track on the album, which is eight tracks long. And it is 20 minutes and 42 seconds long. Killers Are Quiet is a beautiful song. Like, it's melodic and lyrical and creepy. But, like, beautifully presented, and you want to listen to 21 minutes of it.
0: Yeah, you're there for the whole way.
1: The whole thing is the last track on the album, and you listen to the end of it. Because of Corey's voice.
0: Corey has a good voice. He's got an amazing voice. His singing style is very different on his two projects.
1: Yes, they are. Stone Sour, you get to hear him sing. Yep. Slipknot, you get to hear him scream. That is correct. (laughs) And there's Um, a lot of screaming here. Yes. I was walking down Center Street, downtown, to go to catch the two outside of, like, just into Chinatown. And I stop at the light to cross the street, and there's a car that pulls up beside me, and they're listening to Slipknot. I'm singing along. It's two guys, 18, 19 years old. And they look over at me, and they're like... Oh my god, she's singing along. Yeah. And then the light changed, and I walked. I kept walking, and they were just like... They were so stunned, they didn't drive immediately. Ha ha ha! Okay, yes, I get it. I don't look like a Slipknot fan.
0: Moving on. Well, why wouldn't you look like a Slipknot fan? <laughs> Apparently, they don't dress like demon clowns.
1: They don't dress like demon clowns.
0: On some level, people have to realize that with a band, whose debut came out in 1999, by 2020 their first generation of fans are going to be approaching their 40s. This is very
1: That's just how
0: math works. This is true. Was it because you were a woman? Possibly. Because I will say, having listened to this, (laughs) this is a hyper-muscular record with a lot of very masculine energy to it.
1: Yes, it's also a little bit misogynistic.
0: Is it? Love it. See, I didn't. This is the great thing about not hearing literally any of the lyrics. They, <laughs> um, they move
1: away from it as they mature as a band and as the the writing style develops. But like, like I said, Prosthetic is literally about a woman being stuck inside a house after being kidnapped. And realistically speaking, when I saw Bowie, there were only two people dressed as Ziggy Stardust, not three hundred.
0: Yeah. Bowie also does feel like kind of a cosplay event.
1: Right, but there was really only two. Yeah. One was in red and one was in blue.
0: Perfect. Did they blue. know each other? They were together. Nice.
1: Yeah, of the thousands of people who were there, there was only two of them in cosplay. And uh, those masks don't look comfortable to wear. They have also evolved over time. The masks? Yes.
0: Yeah.
1: They're different Uh, for every album. The masks are different. That makes sense. The outfits are different, too. They originally wore prison jumpsuits with masks in the orange.
0: See, that makes sense to me. If you're a multi-million selling band. Like that. Oh, I see. Yeah. And then as the... I've been shown, listeners at home.
1: Yes, red jumpsuits with demon clown masks. The dude with the spikes. Those spikes are rubber. They're not metal. And he plays the drums. So when he moves his head, the spikes move. Oh, fun. It's delightful to watch. It was equally delightful to see Cory take a baseball bat to a kettle drum. Yep,
0: yeah, I'll buy that. Inside of
1: it, uh, which produces a really interesting sound. But yeah, they are visually fascinating to watch. And you've got Cory out front who is singing and moving around and doing his Cory thing. They no longer puke on stage. That's good. I used to. I did not see those shows. Real happy about that.
0: I would not enjoy seeing those shows. But I would enjoy having seen those shows after the fact. That f- feels very much like a. Do you know what? In three weeks, this is going to be a very funny story.
1: It's like getting hosed down with Fago at an ICP concert.
0: Exactly. We are all <laughs> in agreement that no one wants to be covered in Fago. No. But we kind of all want to tell the story of how we got sprayed down with Fago.
1: Okay, fair enough. Fair enough, I just didn't want to take the train home wet and sticky.
0: No, it sounds bad. (laughs) Like,
1: just bad. But like,
0: to go into work and be asked, how was the show, and go, I got sprayed down with Fago in a mosh pit, (laughs) and then continued moshing in the stickiest mosh pit that you could possibly imagine, would be very good. Yeah,
1: no, I'm okay. I had the opportunity to see ICP in my early 20s, I probably would have gone.
0: Then you'd be in that mosh pit.
1: In my late 30s, I was just not into it. Not my thing.
0: I will say right now, now that ICP is coming to Calgary some of the time, the moment they do a gig on a Monday or a Tuesday, I will probably check it out. You don't have to come with me. Fair enough. But I will go for the story, and it will be good.
1: Yes, and you might be able to talk me into going, but... You didn't really try that hard the last time they came to town. I had to work. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely an experience. I would see them every single time they come to town. Have seen them every time they've come to town. They've only been here twice.
0: Well, then we're going to have to find a... <laughs> we're going to have to find an opportunity to road trip out to see in,
1: them. In the 20 years that they have been a band, they have only been to Calgary twice. And apologized... For so long between times that they were here, because it was ten years between yeah, shows.
0: I noticed they did not follow that apology up with a coming here more often.
1: But to be fair, Corey has been here three times since then. That
0: That's time. true.
1: But with a, with the other band.
0: That's true. But still, a sincere apology <laughs> does include action to rectify the situation going forward. Slipknot, non cory members of Slipknot, <laughs> Cory You get a pass. Other dude who's also in Stone Sour, whose name I've already forgotten. (laughs) You get a pass. Other six dudes. Be cool, man. Come to Calgary. Chelsea wants to watch you live again. You're apparently dope as fuck. And I want to check it out. (laughs) (laughs) The soundtrack to a life where I listen to bands for the first time and then lecture them like they owe, owe me something. In summary, Slipknot are different from Disturbed.
1: Yes, very much
0: so. That is the last thing that you made me listen to. Yes, it is. They are definitely contemporaries of one another. Yes. They are absolutely. definitely coming from the same a school of hard rock. Yep. And the reason that I feel like I should bring it up is that new metal was always a genre of music that I had viewed as a little bit monolithic in terms of sound. And listening to Disturbed and then Slipknot with. My analytical brain focused on them is really showing me that there was a lot more to this type of music than I had maybe given it credit for. Fair. There's a lot more distinction between the bands. There's a lot more distinction and texture within the band. And that maybe I hadn't been paying close enough attention to pick Um, that out while it was happening.
1: Fair. It's also the type of genre of music where if you don't come to it organically having gone from listening to nine inch nails and early trent reznor stuff and other stuff within that genre and then transitioning into this stuff if it just gets handed to you like here's a catalog listen to eight albums by this band random band it can seem like a
0: wall of angry yeah absolutely this (laughs) coming at you this Um, is a band very much that sacrifices a lot in the way of nuance yes to achieve the kind of muscular masculine energy yes that they want to achieve but they get a ton of that energy in exchange for that sacrifice like this is music that makes you when you're done listening to it feel like you have done something it feels like an accomplishment yes it feels like you have been tested by this record and you have been found worthy yes
1: very much so their second album iowa is very similar it's also like a punch to the face it's heavy and masculine and in your face kind of music yeah it's Um, aggressive yes volume three which is their third album has literal acoustic songs on
0: it. Yeah, because by that point, the members of the band were starting to grow up. I think that happens with a lot of very young bands putting a lot of throttle into the music that they make. When they age, quite naturally, they start to open things up and explore new sounds. Yeah. Because by that point, they have explored their core sound the maximum amount. Yeah, But this is Slipknot at its Slipknotiest.
1: Yes. And...
0: There is a certain, very stark, minimalist beauty to that. And I appreciate that you introduced me to it, because there is no way I would ever have listened to this (laughs) on purpose. No. Had you not.
1: No. And yeah, uh, the acoustic song on Volume 3, it's called Vermillion, I can't listen to it. I hate it so much. Oh no! There's nothing wrong with it. It's, It's beautiful. It's beautifully written. It's a beautiful song. It's sung from a deep, meaningful place. It just hits me wrong. I do not like it. And there's two versions of it on the album. But
0: you know what? And I cannot listen to it. Not gonna lie to you. Having only heard this one, uh huh. I kind of see it. If you dropped an acoustic song into the middle of this, there'd be a whole lot of, Nope, this is not the energy that I have come to this record expecting, and I will not be enjoying it today. <laughs> <laughs> this has been the soundtrack to a life. I'm going to close the episode, I guess, answering three questions. I live with you. (laughs) And I'm going to marry you. So, yeah, I'm going to listen to Slipknot again.
1: (laughs) But only when I put it on not intentionally on your own. I
0: mean, probably not, to be completely honest. I got a lot out of it, and I developed a deeper appreciation for what they were doing. It might not be for me.
1: Yeah, no, it's not your bag.
0: I'm going to watch the shit out of them live when we go. Yep. I would watch them live every year, but this isn't the flavor of loud guitar music that I prefer. What is an album by a mature version of this band that I might enjoy should I choose to pursue this further? Their most recent one. Yeah, their most recent one is very good.
1: Yeah, it's very good. We have it on vinyl. It is completely tonally different, intentionally so. As the band has put it, the most experimental they have gone with their sound yeah and their writing and it's very very different there's more of sean in the writing of it than there has been previously and yeah it's super different and you'd probably really like it
0: yeah i'm gonna put that on at some point because i am actually very curious after this kind of energy and aggression from a debut in seeing what the same band sounds like 20 years later Mm -hmm. that feels like a fascinating project to pursue And we're going to close the episode on uh, Wait and bleed here today. Uh, This has been the Soundtrack to a Life. Follow us along on Facebook and Twitter at SoundtrackCast, soundtrackcast SoundtrackCast.com. Like us, share us, rate us, review us. Give us a five-star review and then write a one-sentence review. It really helps the podcast get out there to people who otherwise would not be able to hear it. Listen to some Slipknot if you want. Listen to some Stone Sour if you want. There are a lot of fine options that feature this vocalist that you have to choose from. Make your decision wisely. Chelsea, what do you want people to do this week?
1: Uh, I want people to donate to their local homeless shelter. In Calgary, Calgary Drop-In Center, Mustard Seed, Alpha House, any of the women's shelters in and around town. We always, always, always need socks and underwear and time. Donate your time.
0: Time is important. You can never have too many people working together to do a thing.
1: Yeah, and there are amazing, amazing people who need just a little bit of help.
0: Good sentiment to ride out on. This has been the Soundtrack to a Life. We're going to be back in a couple of weeks with someone different discussing something different. I'm not going to tell you what. You're going to have to tune in. Bye. It's I'm a shell, I
1: want to find.